You're listening to the Coffee and Clergy Podcast. I'm Pastor Scott, and we're glad that you're joining us today. You can watch us live on YouTube or Facebook on Wednesdays at 9.30 a.m. Central. And you can always give us a listen on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. Without further ado, grab a cup of joe, find a comfy chair, and enjoy the conversation. Good morning and welcome to Coffee and Clergy. I'm Pastor Doug Chinberg. I'm Pastor Scott Pitch. We're glad to have you with us today for Genesis Part 2. I think this is Part 3 of Part 2. Yes. Um, So we're glad to have you for the third part of our series on the second part of Genesis. Um, We're going to be digging into the continued story of Abraham, but kind of making a bit of a uh, a self-contained episode on the topic of uh, God's Wrath against Sodom and Gomorrah, so it should be really light-hearted affair today. <laughs> yeah, um, not not really actually, pretty intense stuff. Um, but yet we see, and we'll we'll talk a little bit more about this throughout the day, that even in the midst of these uh, very serious circumstances, we still see God's uh, immense grace and love for His chosen people. Um, so let's go ahead and open with a prayer as we begin today, and we'll invite God to be with us in our discussion. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your mercy to us this day and bringing us all together to hear your word. I pray that your word in Genesis would be a guide for us to understand the world around us so that we might see your will in it and uh, walk according to your ways, that we might uh, challenge uh, the sinfulness of this world with the truth of your word, that we might also apply uh, the, the guidance of the law into our own lives and how we live. But most importantly, we pray that through the example of Abraham and the narratives of Genesis that you would help us to uh, walk by faith and that that faith would be likewise credited to us as righteousness as it was for Abraham before us. And so we pray all this in Jesus' holy and precious name and all God's people said. Amen. Amen. So last week we talked about the the hospitality that Abraham showed to the three visitors that, that came to him. Yep. And uh, today we see the hospitality of, as those angels come to visit Lot, yep. uh, he shows them hospitality as well. And, uh, but it happens to be in the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah where uh, the people in that community, um, uh, we find out very quickly how evil they are and they want to do more than just show hospitality to those who have come to the city. Yep. And so uh, we, we see the, the evil uh, that is a part of their lives come out uh, immediately, the sin and, and uh, uh, the depths of the evil that is there in their hearts. Mm-hmm. So um, as, as we begin this story, um, maybe we should start by, by reading it and um, we can read um, from chapter 19 in Genesis yeah. and we'll read from verse 1 through verse 29. Sure. And I can just uh, <clears throat> knock that out, and we'll go straight through from 1 to, 9, to 29. Uh, the two angels arrived at Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gateway of the city. When he saw them, he got up to meet them and bowed down with his face to the ground. My lords, he said, please turn aside to your servant's house. You can wash your feet and spend the night, and then go on your way early in the morning. No, they answered, we will spend the night in the square. But he insisted so strongly that they did go with him. 
and they entered his house. He prepared a meal for them, baking bread without yeast, and they ate. Before they had gone to bed, all the men from every part of the city of Sodom, both young and old, surrounded the house. They called to Lot, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us so that we can have sex with them. Lot went in outside to meet them and shut the door behind him and said, No, my friends, don't do this wicked thing. Look, I have two daughters who have never slept with a man. Bring, let me bring them out to you and you can do what you like to them. But don't do anything to these men, for they have come under the protection of my roof. Get out of our way, they replied. And they said, This fellow came here as an alien, and now he wants to play judge. We'll treat you worse than them. They kept bringing pressure on Lot and moved forward to break down the door. But the men inside reached out and pulled Lot back into the house and shut the door. Then they snuck the men who were at the door of the house. Young, uh, sorry, they struck them, uh, the men who were at the door of the house, young and old, with blindness so that they could not find the door. The two men said to Lot, Do you have anyone else here, sons-in-law, sons or daughters, or anyone else in the city belongs to you? who belongs to you? Get them out of here, because we are going to destroy this place. The outcry to the Lord against its people is so great that he has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law, who were pledged to marry his daughters. He said, Hurry and get out of this place, because the Lord is about to destroy the city. But his sons-in-law thought that he was joking. With the coming of the dawn, the angels urged Lot, saying, Hurry, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, or you will be swept away when the city is punished. When he hesitated, the men grasped his hands and the hands of his wife and his two daughters and led them safely out of the city, for the Lord was merciful to them. As soon as they brought them out, one of them said, Flee for your lives. Don't look back and don't stop anywhere in the plain. Flee to the mountain or you will be swept away. But Lot said to them, No, my lords, please. Your servant has found favor in your eyes and you have shown great kindness to me in sparing my life, but I can't flee to the mountains. This disaster will overtake me and I'll die. Look, here is a town near enough to run to. It is small. Let me flee to it. It is a very small, isn't it? Then my life will be spared. He said to him, Very well, I will grant this request too. I will not overthrow the town that you speak of, but flee there quickly because I cannot do anything until you have reached it. That is why the town was called Zor. By the time Lot reached Zor, the sun had risen over the land. Then the Lord rained down sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of, heaven, out of the heavens. Thus he overthrew those cities and the entire plain, including all those li living in the cities, and also the vegetation in the land. But Lot's wife looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and returned to the place where he had stood before the Lord. He looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah, toward all the land of the plain, and he saw dense smoke rising from the land, like smoke from a furnace. So when God destroyed the cities of the plain, he remembered Abraham, and he brought Lot out of the catastrophe that overthrew the cities where Lot had lived. 
Okay, so we see uh, an, an act of judgment um, by God, and there was a, another act of judgment that we read early on um, in Genesis. It was the story of the flood. Yeah. And there's a lot of parallels between these two stories, and maybe, um, uh, so this isn't the first time that God brought about his judgment. Um, but let's talk about some of the parallels between these two stories, yeah. Sodom and Gomorrah and the flood. So the the idea of God's heart hurting for the very existence of these places, the earth in Noah's time and these cities, which very closely reflect them in this time. Whenever there's this idea that, that uh, there's such a great outcry against the injustices that are going on in a place, God usually doesn't allow those justices to continue long. Um, and so his, his judgment is this, that, that whenever people are doing whatever is right in their own eyes and, and wickedness reigns in the land, he will take, he'll take matters into his own hand. Um, I'm reminded of Genesis 6 where it says that um, every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. And they barely make it into the city between, before there are acts of evil just all over the place. Mm -hmm. Even from Lot, I mean, who's tasked to defend his family, who offers up freely his daughters to just have horrible mm -hmm. things happen to them. Yeah. Like every, every person in that town to some degree is, is just wretched. Yeah. So we see the, the depths of sin. Uh, we see the judgment of God and uh, other parallels. Is there any acts of grace that go on in the story of the flood and, and the story of Sodom? Well, yeah, Gomorrah? certainly. God, God saves a family in okay. both stories um, and uh, brings them out of the, the disaster. Um, well, I guess one other... Um, well, I'll get, I'll get to that when we get to that. I don't, I don't want to jump ahead. I know we're going to talk about it later. So, yeah. Okay. Okay. So we see events of judgment, salvation, sin, and promise. Um, uh, so judgment of God's uh, wrath against wickedness and sin. Um, we see it through uh, the destruction of water in the flood account. We see it through the destruction of fire and brimstone uh, in the account of Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, uh, uh, for the salvation uh, for Noah and Lot, um, salvation comes as they listen to the word of God and follow God's instructions. Yeah. And uh, and then we also have a promise that's that's found as well. Uh, the promise in the story of the flood uh, is the the rainbow that God uh, gives to Noah and says that He'll never destroy the earth again in the same way. Um, which he has kept his promise, although there are local floods, there's not a worldwide flood that's ever taken place since then. And, um, and then also in, in um, uh, verse 29, it says that God destroyed the cities of the plain, but he remembered Abraham and he brought out Lot uh, out of the catastrophe uh, that overthrew the cities. And, and uh, so there was a, a promise of salvation that, uh, that God has given to his people. And so, so what can we say as we look at God's attitude towards sin and wickedness in the world? He's what, what most people would consider intolerant. Okay. <laughs> and yeah. I find this very funny that there's a very uh, uh, sort of familiar sounding refrain in this series of, uh, um, of dialogue from the from the Sodomites and the Gomorians. I don't know if that's the right yeah. designation yeah. For the, from the people from Gomorrah, but 
they say this fellow comes here as an alien and now wants to play the judge, right? How often have we heard in our contemporary culture that that you know we shouldn't judge, we shouldn't we shouldn't be intolerant, we shouldn't can, we shouldn't tell other people what to do, or only God can judge me, right? It's like, mm -hmm. well, maybe that is true, but if you want to know what God's judgment looks like, read Genesis 19. Um, there are some people who were saying very similar things of like, you know, you can't judge me. You're not in yeah. a position to be a dictator to me about what I, the way I live my life. And you, usually when people tell, when one person tells another they're not, in, they're intolerant, mm -hmm. that, that means you don't tolerate what, what I, I want you to what do. I want to do. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm not going to accept what, what you have what to say. What your worldview is. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's uh when, when we come to this question about what God's view on on sin is, it's absolutely intolerant, right? There's yeah. no room for wiggle here. There's no, yeah. there's no. If I do a little bit of this, I'll get away with it, and it'll be fine. Um, there's no sweeping things under the rug. He he reveals it all, and yeah. he brings it all to light. And uh, he he does not tolerate, even though he is long suffering with this our sin. He does not tolerate it. He, that's why it's long suffering. It's it's not just mere patience and waiting for, for things to, to happen and then move on. It's like he's long-suffering. I mean, he's, he endures the sin, taking on the debt of that sin and then placing it onto Christ. Um, and so there has not been a evil or a sin or anything like that that has been completely gotten away with. Everything has been paid for in, in mm -hmm. one sense or another. And all, all, all will be brought level in terms of justice. God will make every wrong right uh, in due time. Yeah. What does this tell us about uh, the, the character and nature of God? Well, it, what I think it does is two things. It shows us as people, first, that we are enemies of God uh, and that we... That By you our, think in about our sinful nature. In our, in our sinful nature. So there's, there's the three... Uh, things that we are spiritually blind, spiritually dead, and enemies of God, right? And, and this reminds us of that, right? That our sinfulness is what actually causes a, a broken relationship between us and God. But it also shows God's amazing abilities of mercy and, uh, like I said, his long-suffering nature um, and his love, his fatherly love to, to unconditionally continue to put up with us, <laughs> And to come back and, and save us again, you know, through his son and, and to restore that relationship over and over and over and over again by his grace. Um, and, and so I think those are the two main things that this yeah. shows. I was also thinking of his holiness. Mm -hmm. uh, you had mentioned it earlier that his holiness can't stand to be in the presence of sin. And uh, we see other stories in the New Testament where people... Um, think that they need they know what to do in God's presence and they end up dying yeah um, uh, and uh, the, the and good so. story about that is how whenever there was one time a year um, in, in later stories in like Leviticus and stuff where the high priest would go I think it was once or twice a year I forget at the high festivals into the holy of holies and they had to do certain rituals of purification and atonement before they did and what they used to do for the high priest is they used to tie a rope around his ankle because if he went in and he hadn't done the proper rites of, uh, you know, cleanliness, or if he hadn't re truly repented of his sin, he would be struck down in the presence of God's awesome might uh, in the most holy of holy places. And then they would like, you can't go in and get him. So <laughs> we're not going to wait a year. And you pull the rope, and yeah, exactly. We're not going to send the next guy in. 
There won't yeah. be much left of you. And so apparently this had happened enough that they yeah. had the idea, hey, let's tie a yeah. rope to the guy's yeah. foot. That's, that's the power of God's holiness in its full glory and unleashed power. It just it does not tolerate sin or wickedness. Right. And sin, and sin and wickedness cannot be in its presence. Neither will God's holy presence be in, in the in the presence of sin and wickedness yeah. and endure it long. So what does this account say about the, the dangers of living among people who uh, want to uh, practice their sin and, and disobedience to God? I think it's simply stated that there's peril in it and we need to be very cautious. Uh, I think a lot of times in, in you'll see this sort of trend in, uh, in uh, Christian households where they'll say something like, well, I want my kids to be a positive influence, you know, in a, in a difficult situation. And there's, there's some, um, some very, you know, there's some opportunities to witness and to have an impact on communities that are, that are broken. But I think that vocationally speaking, when you're looking at like what's best for your kids, that's not really best for your kids. Um, that's not to say you shouldn't have that scenario, but it says you should definitely do that with a grain of salt because in all reality, there's peril in it. When we, when we associate in our own lives with people who are wicked or have certain lifestyles that are against what we agree with, uh, that, that's a bit of a struggle. Uh, there's sort of the, the expression that a bad apple spoils the bunch. That's one side of it, but if you put a good apple in a, in a bunch of bad apples, the good apple's not going to necessarily always turn the, the bad apples good again. Right? No. Um, and so that's what we need to be thinking about is uh, a bad bunch is just a bad bunch sometimes. And there's only so much transformation we can do uh, with our presence in the midst of them. But that being said, we still do have a calling to these places in the world. And I'm, I think the next question alludes to this a little bit better, um, that, that we are called to be in the world but not of the world. That's what Jesus' high priestly prayer to us. Uh, or for uh, on our behalf to God, His Father, that that we would be in the world but not of it. We would be blessed. That we would be able to withstand the um, the negative influences of this world while being in it, so that we can share the light in the darkness and that kind of thing. Salt and light are the analogies that Jesus is used. Jesus uses for this that um, we're we're called to be distinct and different than the world, but yet at work within it as well. Yeah. So. When you talk about the the dangers of being living among sinful people, like we're we're lot in his family, salt and light in a city of darkness. It's like in this one instance where they saved these men from getting you know bad things happening to them. Sure, but it seems like they were just kind of living out their life in the city. And you know, yeah. matter of fact, the daughters were engaged to two sodomite men, and um, it seems like they were kind of just assimilating to the sinful way of being and so we got to be very cautious against that sort of thing. Yeah, you, there's a question behind, you know, why was even Lot living in that city mm -hmm. um, uh, with all the practices that were going on. Yeah. And um, so how can our relationship to God um, be corrupted as we live around uh, people that are filled with sin? It, it doesn't take very much um, uh, for people to be corrupted, I, you know, you mentioned children. Children often look to those who are older to see how to act and respond. And um, uh, so if the leaders of the town were, were acting and responding with sin and corruption, 
uh, it would have been easy for everyone else to, to fall into line. Yeah. Um, and if we begin to listen to lies, it's probably not long before we begin to believe those lies and, and uh, uh, again, fall in line with uh, what the rest of the people are doing. Yeah. Um, um, and we, you mentioned having an influence, uh, being a good influence, and the only way that we can be a good influence is if there is, uh, if God is is that influence in us, mm -hmm. uh, He's working and acting in us. Yeah. Uh, I think as some of the prophets of the Old Testament, it was a, uh, a long and hard road for them when everybody else was against them, yeah. uh, they were kind of like a lone voice <laughs> speaking God's word uh, of 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 law and promise, um, and for many of them, I think in Jeremiah, he was depressed, and it mm -hmm. was a very uh, a hard life for him. Elijah kind of had some of the same sort of things, right? Absolutely, he was a yeah. Kingdom full of wickedness, and he's like, "I'm the only one out here talking yeah. on your behalf, God. Why don't you just strike me down? I don't want to be here anymore." Yeah. yeah. And, and Not then an God, easy life. then God gave him the picture. Wait a second. No, I've got. I've reserved a number of prophets that are still uh, my prophets, and mm -hmm. um, so He reassured him, and um, even as God reassures us. Yeah. And I was going to say one one quick thing. The process of of the worldliness around us corrupting us too, I think a lot of times we fail to see it because it's such a slow and and deliberate process of whittling down slowly. Yeah. Um, it's kind of like A little like bit the... here, a little bit there, and a couple of friendships here and their influence, a TV show here, a podcast that we listen to, the music we hear. And it's like none of those things just by themselves are going to cause us to all of a sudden like, you know, go become a satanist or uh, you know to abandon god or to you know start living in 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 worldly ways or some things like that but the slow process of continual influence all around us has this this sort of whittling down process it chips away at us little bit by little bit until it gets down to the core of us and then it all of a sudden it takes hold of us yeah, yeah people talk about how do you cook a frog it's not mm -hmm. by throwing a frog in boiling water they'll jump out but you put a frog in warm water and they get comfortable and you slowly turn up the heat mm -hmm. and and uh, and that that's what happens in the world as yeah. well and um, and so um, uh, so how does this event give us um, a special warning we see something happen to Lot's wife in verse 26 um, it says, Lot's wife looked back and she became a pillar of salt. And so what is the warning that God gives us uh, in this verse? Yeah, that's a tough one. I, I, I always kind of felt like this was a little unfair because it's like, on the one hand, when you're a kid, you hear this and you think about like, oh, I shouldn't look back in church. I might get yeah. turned into a pillar of salt. <laughs> or, um, you know, or any number of things you might think. But I always wondered why. Of course, it was a, it was a, deliberate disobedience of God, but it wasn't like the angels made it like emphatic that if you look back, you will certainly die, right? It's more like they said, run with a sense of urgency, flee to that town and don't look back. Uh, you know, you need to get going. Uh, don't stop anywhere on the plane. So it wasn't like, it wasn't like the, the, it was made clear that that would be her death. But mm -hmm. But one of the things is it gets to sort of the, the heart mentality of, of all of this is like, why would someone look back? Was she just awed by the majesty of God and needed yeah. to see this thing? Or was it more like, oh, you know, oh, no, my, my whole life was there and I had this thing going on and I had, you know, this thing going and 
I really miss that and want to see what's happening to it all that caused her to like actually just like turn back and not just with her eyes but also with her heart to be like that's sort of my my whole life back there and I, I'm already starting to miss it and instead of looking to what God had said like you need to get going you need to be on the move away from this place not just physically but also you need to like get out of this sinful place and its negative influences and, and all of the things that have corrupted you for so long in your family you need to get out of it yeah. uh you know spiritually emotionally mentally as well as physically too and i think i think the reason why she was turned into a pillar of salt practically is because god's wrath and his power was on full display and once again sinful nature god's awesome fullness of his power and wrath like mm-hmm. those two don't play nicely together but I think it was also sort of on her to say, like, she had not moved on. She had not abandoned the former life and caused a, a clean break from it and said, mm-hmm. okay, I'm going to go God's way. And instead, she wanted to bring some aspect of her old life with her into that new thing. And yeah. that I, doesn't work. I also think it's interesting that uh, uh, there is one passage in the New Testament where Jesus is talking about uh, the end times. And he, he points to Lot's wife as an example. And, and he said, remember Lot's wife in Luke chapter 17. He said, whoever tries to keep his life in this world will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will preserve it. And so you get the same and, mentality there of people yeah. who are trying to cling on to Something the worldly of this things. World. Yeah. Yeah. And Jesus is, is saying, that, no, there needs to be like a clean break where we say, um, this life is one thing, but the life to come is even greater. So you need to abandon the things, yeah. uh, you know, it, leave, leave everything you have and come follow me, you know, yeah. that kind of mentality. Yeah. Jesus, I mean, Jesus mentions the same thing in the gospels where he said, uh, you know, where your heart is there, your treasure will be mm-hmm. also. So he's saying, keep your, the, the treasure of your heart, keep that in heaven. Yeah. Uh, Paul says the same things as he says, you know, I, I've got my eyes focused on the goal. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I'm running the race, but I'm keeping my eyes focused on the goal, the goal of heaven that Christ has won for me. Yeah. And uh, uh, that's what God calls us to do as we look forward and, and continue to follow him. There's, um, there's another story that uh, is at the end of chapter 19. Uh, this too is not a, 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 a common Sunday school story <laughs> as we hear about Lot and his daughters. And so um, we're going to read that, and it's uh, verses 30 through 38. Chalk this up to things people can't believe is in the Bible. Yeah, you know? That's yeah. really what this is about. So uh, another story, uh, again, about Lot and his daughters. It says, begin with verse 30, Lot and his two daughters left Zoar and settled in the mountains, for he was afraid to stay in Zoar. He and his two daughters lived in a cave. One day the older daughter said to the younger, our father is old, and there is no man around here to lie with us, as is the custom all over the earth. And so uh, let's get our father to drink wine and then lie with him and preserve our family line through our father. That night they got their father to drink wine and the older daughter went in and lay with him and he was not aware of it when she lay down or when she got up. The next day the older daughter said to the younger, last night I lay with my father, let's get him drunk or let's get him to drink wine again tonight. And you go in and lie with him so that we can preserve our family line through our father. So they got their father to drink wine that 
night also, and the younger daughter went in and lay with him. Again, he was not aware of it when she lay down or when she got up. So both Lot's daughters became pregnant by their father. The older daughter had a son and named him Moab. He is the father of the Moabites of today. The younger daughter also had a son, and she named him Ben-Ami. Uh, he is the father of the Ammonites of today. And uh, so it starts off with um, uh, uh, actually fear driving them from that little town of Zoar uh, to live out in the mountains and in the cave. And uh, just a uh, kind of an everyday question, uh, have you ever been so afraid uh, of for the safety of your life that... Um, uh, that brought about some circumstances. Um, um, I, I was thinking about that. There's uh, a couple of times in my life where I've been in an automobile accident, mm -hmm. and I was very afraid. Uh, one time took place when the, actually the family was in the car, and we were traveling from my hometown of Wichita uh, to my mother-in-law's um, up in Illinois, northern Illinois. We were getting ready to go through the, the city of Des Moines, and it was in winter time. In fact, it was on Christmas Eve. And uh, we were going over an overpass. We hit a patch of ice, spun around, and our car faced the opposite direction while traffic was starting to move towards us. Um, luckily, uh, you know, I just, uh, by God's grace, uh, they were far enough back that they were able to stop. Um, but it was, it was one of those moments you know, I just said, you know, our kids were in the back, and and um, and uh, I just said, stay where you're at and keep your seatbelt on. Um, uh, it was one of those moments. Uh, uh, another time I think of is, is when I was, um, uh, during my seminary days, when I was working with my cousin, uh, he was a painter, and I, I took his car, his truck home um, as he stayed in town one day, and, and um, um, I hit a patch in the road that was the washboard and the, the, the truck didn't have good shock absorbers and it started to bounce um, and uh, the, the, it was a gravel road and the, the tires caught the edge of the gravel and we rolled in the ditch and I, all I remember is saying a prayer, Lord help me, and I grabbed a hold of the, the steering wheel as tightly as I could. Um, uh, but that was one of those moments where you recognize your life is out of control and uh, you're in God's hands, and, and you just pray for God's grace. Yeah. So um, those, those events happen. Um, um, uh, so it was probably the same with Lot. He feared for his life, um, and God gave him the idea, you might as well continue to flee from this town mm -hmm. um, and see if you can find a safe place in the mountains. Yep. And so that's what he did. And, uh, but, you know, we look at this story and ask a very practical question. Why do you think this story is in the book uh, of Genesis? I think it's, uh, like all the stories that are in there, they, they tell a story which is for the rest of humanity to understand. So I, I don't think that the main point of this is the, the wretched sexual act that goes on in a cave. I think it's more about a lack of faith and a lack of... Uh, kind of obedience to God's plan. I think God wanted something better for Lot and his family than this kind of fate. But the the sort of lack of, of trust in God's plan, that fear factor, 
kind of gripped them. I think that uh, I think that they thought the world had ended every every other human being but them, and they were thinking, well, I guess we're gonna die or we're gonna figure something out, so let's do that. Um, so I think the reason it's in there is just to show that. I think also the the kind of result of that act led to um, two kingdoms, which play an important role a little mm-hmm. later on in, in the book of Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers. The Moabites and the Ammonites, uh, we hear about them, and they are meddlesome and troublesome and, frankly, enemies of Israel, not just yeah. in the Exodus, but for a long time after that as well. Um, and, indeed, probably the descendants of the Moabites and the um, and the descendants of the uh, Ammonites were probably people who are still living in lands today which are problematic for the people of Israel. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, so it kind of shows the sort of the same trend as when God preserves Ishmael um, through an act of debaucherous mm-hmm. and full sexual deviance that um, even though God's mercy is to, to preserve them, it doesn't mean it's going to be a good thing necessarily. It just means that God's preservation of that life is, is good, but, but, that doesn't, but there's something that comes from that consequence, a consequence that comes from that sinful act. Yeah. Um, and so we, as you mentioned, we see there's there's uh, part of the story is about drinking and getting drunk. Um, uh, Lot was so drunk that he didn't even realize what happened. Mm. Um, there was deception. There was incest. Uh, all of these things happened. Um, you know, we could ask what's the, the worst part about this story. But, um, you know, it's it's um, I guess the, the thread that I see kind of uh, weaving through there is that that whole idea of deception. Yeah. Uh, deception brings on the drinking. Uh, deception brings on the incest. Um, and, um, you know, we think of, of the work of, of Satan, and he's one of, uh, he's not only an accuser, but he's one who deceives us with lies, even yep. as he did with Adam and Eve. Yep. And, um, and uh, so we see that um, going on, but we do hear about the, the Moabites and the Ammonites uh, as we go through um, um, uh, much of the Old Testament, and uh, and they are fighting again and again uh, mm-hmm. with God's descendants, and so that leads us uh, into chapter twenty. Uh, this is a story of Abraham and a man by the name of Abimelech. Uh, it's going to be a, a kind of a parallel story of something that we've heard before with Abraham. He he falls into the same trap. Mm, um, I wonder if that could be. Uh, but we, before we uh, look into it a little bit closer, let's go ahead and read um, sure. this chapter 20 All right. uh, from Genesis. So now Abraham moved on from there into the region of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur. For a while he stayed in Gerar, and there Abraham met, said to, of his wife Sarah, She is my sister. This Abimelech king of Gerar sent for Sarah and took her. But God came to Abimelech in a dream one night and said to him, You are as good as dead because of the woman that you have taken. She is a married woman. Now Abimelech had not gone near her, so he said, Lord, will you destroy an innocent nation? Did he not say to me, She is my sister? And did she also say, He is my brother? I have done this with a clear conscience and clean hands. Then God said to him in the dream, Yes, I know you did this with a clear conscience, and so I have kept you from sinning against me. That is why I did not let you touch her. 
Now return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will uh, pray for you, and you will live. But if you do not return her, you may be sure that you and all yours will die. Early the next morning, Abimelech summoned all the officials, all of his officials, and when he told them all that had happened, they were very much afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham in and said, What have you done to us? How have I wronged you that you have brought such great guilt upon me and my kingdom? You have done things to me that should not be done. And Abimelech said, asked Abraham, What was your reason for doing this? Abraham replied, I said to myself, There is surely no fear of God in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she really is my sister, the daughter of my father, though not of my mother, and she became my wife. And when God had me wander from uh, my father's household, I said to her, This is how you can show your love to me. Everywhere we go, say of me, he is my brother. Then Abimelech brought sheep and cattle and male and female slaves and gave them to Abraham. And he returned Sarah, his wife, to to him. And Abimelech said, My land is before you. Live wherever you like. To Sarah he said, I am giving your brother a thousand shekels of silver. This is to cover the offense against you before all who are with you. You are completely vindicated. Then Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, his wife, and his slave girl, so that they could have children again. For the Lord had closed up every womb in Abimelech's household because of Abraham's wife Sarah. Okay. Uh, So we see again some elements of sin and weakness and doubt on the part of Abraham. And um, uh, it seems like Abraham had been in this situation before and said that Sarah is my sister. Um, uh, Down in Egypt, uh, there was one who took Sarah as his wife. Um, And and now it happens again. And and, um, um, kind of the question is, why do these doubts... Um, why do these fears keep coming back uh, into Abraham's life? Uh, on the one hand, we would think that he would have a strong faith, and he does have a strong faith. Uh, and yet there are times where fear and doubt uh, creep back into his life. Yeah, swords are still sharp. Yeah. Spears are still pointy. Um, and he doesn't have a massive army. He's got, you know, servants and probably some personal guard people and stuff like that, but this guy's a king. Mm-hmm. And... He knows he needs to go into the city. He knows that there's things he needs to do there, but he also knows that Sarah is a beautiful woman and other men would desire her, and so he he fears because he knows that he can be killed. <laughs> yeah, and and we also, uh, and that's, again, by God's grace, God steps in. He, he has a word of judgment um, um, that he says to Abimelech in a dream. You know, he said, you... Uh, if you were to lay a hand on Sarah, you were as good as dead. Yeah. And uh, so, and he closed up every womb of um, of those that were connected to Abimelech, uh, his household. And um, so there was God's judgment that was placed on them. Um, and yet we also find an act of God's saving grace and uh, a promise. Mm-hmm. And um, so we find that at the, at the end, um, when Abraham prayed to God, and then God, in his grace, healed Abimelech and his wife and slave girls uh, so that they could have children again. Yeah. And um, That might be another reason why Abraham is really nervous, is like, where do you think those slave girls came from? 
they're probably captured. <laughs> yeah. Their men yeah. were probably killed. Yeah. <laughs> so it's probably yeah. not that far of a stretch that uh, Abraham's walking around in these really bad places like Sodom and Gomorrah and yeah. Egypt and, you know, and the kingdom that Abimelech's the, the king over and uh, Gerar. And it's like, well, if that's happening, he's probably pretty wise to safeguard against that yeah. in some way. Yeah, but. maybe he'll look in favor upon me if, if he were to take my... Uh, my sister mm -hmm. uh, as his wife yeah. and uh, and yet we see God uh, stepping in again by his grace yeah. and um, so we want to take a little bit of time to talk about maybe a, a practical aspect um, uh, uh, because we live in a world where trouble is around us uh, we live in a world where people have a lot of doubt and um, and so as we live our life um, when life is good we oftentimes don't think about God yeah and when life uh, turns bad, that's where we sometimes wonder, is God distant? Uh, why, why is he not here? Why is he not protecting me? Um, but the reality is that um, we live in a world, we live in a world that wants to push God out of it. And, and yet we also live in a world where God's promise and forgiveness is also present in our life. And so that's why we need God's word. We need Holy Scripture. And, um, and so what is God's reaction um, uh, to the doubt of Abraham and to Sarah? Um, uh, how does God act during this time? Um, I think it's tough to say because on the one hand, he's not happy about it. But does he go to Abraham and Sarah in a dream and say, you're yeah. in trouble? No, it, he, he says to Abimelech that, that, he, that he's in trouble yeah. and, and puts a sort of a, a curse on his whole kingdom and household so um so god seems to understand the struggles that abraham was going through yeah i don't think he's unsympathetic to our struggles certainly yeah. but by the same token i think he expects faithfulness out of us because yeah. of his faithfulness to us um and he puts us in situations where we can practice that extreme faith like putting it to the test going places where it's uncomfortable and and uh you know, living out the faith that we have. So even with the challenges that we have, we find that God is always faithful. Yes. God is always faithful. His promises are always sure. Uh, his love never fails. Um, and sometimes we don't always realize that or believe it or see it. Um, but God wants us to know that just as they were there for Abraham, they're there for us. Well, and you kind of pointed it to, to it earlier. A lot of times when things are really good, we don't pay attention to God. And when things are bad, we go, where are you, God? The only way to really get us to stop thinking that way is for God to kind of jolt us every now and again. Be like, no, I'm here. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm with you in these good moments, and I'm really with you when these moments are not so good. Uh, and he puts us in these challenging situations sometimes to remind us of his presence. He allows us to enter into seasons of discomfort and unease so that we learn to rely on him more than relying on our own skills and abilities and blessings. And so it's, it's hard to, it's hard to see it that way as like if, as if though our, our present sufferings and discomforts and uneasiness is actually a blessing to us because it reminds us of God's closeness, but that's often what it is. Yeah. So how can we help people when they find themselves in places of fear or doubt? Yeah, I'll tell you yeah. what you don't do. You don't say, God's going to use all this pain for good. <laughs> that is the wrong response. Um, it might be an accurate response, but that's yeah. not something people want to hear when they're in the midst of a season of suffering. What they want to hear is, 
God's promises of his presence with you. Yeah. And then, given hindsight on a problem from the, the kind of natural consequences that it played out and God's faithfulness, even in the midst of those situations, we can look back on our situation when the emotionality of it has declined, when we're not in the thick of it anymore, mm-hmm. and we can really see the forest from the trees and be like, oh, God was at work that whole yeah. time. How, how full of those moments are, are Christians in their life where you look back at a season of, of difficulty and a season of struggle and go, there he was the whole time. Yeah. He was right there helping me, and I can tell that because of what has come out of that situation happens all the time. Yeah, I, I think of that little poem, The Footprints in the Sand, mm. and, you know, at the time of struggles, we don't see where God is, but uh, as you said, after a period of time, we can look back and we see just the one set of footprints, and, and God reminds us that those were His yeah. uh, as He carried us uh, yeah. during that time. Uh, there's, a, there's another story in the New Testament of someone who had great doubt, uh, Thomas, uh, after our Lord's resurrection. And uh, so how did Jesus deal with Thomas in the midst of his doubt? Eh, poor Thomas, he gets a bad rap. <laughs> yeah. His entire identity is wrapped up in doubt. And yeah. That's not the case. He's a believer. He's as strong a believer as anybody. He just happened to be in a situation that God chose to use him to show the, the nature of doubt and belief. Um, I don't think any other disciple in the same situation, or frankly any of us in that same situation, would have done anything different. But... He was the one God used to show the the nature of belief and unbelief. And I think Thomas was certainly a a critical man, right? He wanted to know and see and be part of things. I think that's probably the reason he followed Jesus is because Jesus had a lot to show and he wanted to learn and grow and discern what the truth was. And, uh, you know, certainly I think after the fact, his apostleship, um, even though we have kind of limited information from the Bible, you can feel pretty confident that his apostleship was formed by these moments of doubt being overturned by belief, and he probably um, carried that mentality into his ministry. Yeah, and and it's interesting that you know Thomas was not with the rest of the disciples uh, the morning that Jesus rose from the dead, and um, and later when the disciples talked to Thomas about the fact that they had seen the Lord, and he said, you know, unless unless I see him, unless I put my hands, uh, my fingers in those nail holes and put my hand in his side, I'm not going to believe. Yeah. And, um, and yet we find that uh, a week later, when they're gathered together again, uh, that Jesus appears and, and he confronts Thomas and his doubt. Mm-hmm. And he says, okay, the things that you asked for, put your finger here in yep. my hand. Put your hand in my side. He said, stop doubting and believe. Yep. And so we find that Jesus uh, confronts our doubt uh, uh, in a very direct way. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, he says, I am, I am here for you. Um, uh, Thomas had the... Uh, uh, the blessing of touching the Lord physically, mm-hmm. um, but he is just as real to us today as he was to Thomas as he appeared to him. And um, so, so how does this message of God's constant love and forgiveness again uh, connect to our, our doubt? Well, I think the world produces doubt in, in our life. I mean, this is sort of one of the main criticisms of people who don't believe in God is how could a loving God allow the, the world to be the way it is? The world, the way it is, tries to convince us that there can't be love, or, or there hope. can't be God, or God, a God who 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 is all powerful things, or right? loves us, or yeah. and so we have we have uh, if we want to see um, 
God's love and forgiveness and his mercy and his hope in this life, we have to somehow get above that mentality of the world convinces us that those things are not so. Because one of the, one of the struggles I have is simply, simply saying the world is a broken place, therefore there can be no God doesn't solve the problem of the world being a broken place. No. So it doesn't, I mean, being a, a nihilistic realist is no better off than being a fool who believes in something that's not real. Uh, I do believe it's real, and I think there's plenty of evidence to suggest it is, but that's not a solution to the problem any yeah. more than saying your foot is green. You might want to get that looked at. No, I don't believe my foot is green. <laughs> like, okay, <laughs> yeah, your foot's okay. still green. Like, <laughs> you're you're going to die. <laughs> you yeah. know, your foot's going to fall off in a rot. Yeah. You know? That's not a good thing. And so it, it doesn't solve the problem for us. Um, the only thing that solves the problem is that forgiving, that loving God. And it's the same thing with our doubts, right? And when we have doubts, those doubts, they come from real stuff. You know, they come from looking around in the world trying to convince us that this is not, that, that, that the, the, the testimony of the scripture can't be true because there couldn't possibly be a God who loves me like that. There couldn't possibly be uh, a loving God who created a place that has brokenness like this. But but in reality, when we when we confront the realities that the scripture tell us with the realities of the world, they mesh, right? That that the brokenness of the world is not because of God; it's because of us. The sinfulness that's within us and within our own desires is a product of our own hearts, not of God. The only things we see in this life that are beautiful and good and true and loving and kind and forgiving, they stem from God. And so we want to push towards those things and try and suppress the things about ourselves that that try and breed doubt within our own hearts. Yeah. So one of the things that God does with Abraham over and over again is he, he gives him a covenant or renews the covenant or reminds him of the covenant. And so a, a question for us today is if, if God were to establish a covenant with us, what would it say? What would be a part of that covenant? I can pretty much guarantee you it would start off with something about how we belong to God and he is our God. Okay. Because every one of his covenants sort of establishes yeah. the relationship, right? I am your God, you are my people. Exactly. Yeah. And so I think it would start off with something like that. I think then it would also extend that identity to Christ and what he has done. So that the sort of, this is a big fancy theological word, the imputation of what he has done would be ours and that our sinful nature would be pushed onto him. I think that you can't have a, a covenant for for God's people around the world without incorporating Jesus yeah. um, today. I think, um, so I think any covenant promise would, would come with that. And so you also say, well, covenants also, though, have this, this sort of back and forth, right? That when God establishes Old Testament covenants, right, he says, um, you know, I, I will be your God, but you will follow my commandments and obey what I have to say. The covenant of of new testament faith in christ is is less is it diminishes the sec the secondary role of us and it puts all the all of the emphasis on him and what he does yeah. for us and it's not to say there's not a, a back and forth though. yeah and there's there's two kind of covenants in the old testament mm -hmm. one is where god does everything um and we're just kind of along for the ride and yeah. that's kind of like the covenant with with uh, Noah, yeah. I'm never going to destroy the world again with a flood like this. This is right. Uh, or the covenant with with David, he says, I'm going to bring a descendant from your line. from your line. Mm -hmm. um, and David had, it's not like David said, I'm going to be an active participant. Mm -hmm. God was going to do this uh, through him. Yeah. But there are times uh, 
So there are covenants where God does everything. There are covenants where God says, I'm going to do this and I'm going to have you do this. Yeah, but I see, I think that the, the sort of covenant today also, though, is, is sort of seated within the church. Uh, and so there is sort of a, an expectation of our fulfillment on the covenant, even though we don't do it very well. There still is a yeah. sending aspect to it, right? So it's almost more akin to that Old Testament covenant um, God will be faithful anyways, even, even when we fail uh, to, to live out our end. But I think we do have an end in this. There is a, yeah. a very real and tangible expectation from God on how we are to be his people um, in, in the church today. Yeah. And, it, and the reality is that we, we do have a covenant. Uh, we have a covenant in the sacraments that God has given us. That is right. Uh, so our, our baptismal covenant you're going to be my child, I'm going to be your father. Yeah. Uh, and then in the, uh, the covenant of the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, um, he gives us the body and blood of Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. sins. Yeah. And um, uh, so there is. And, and God does expect us to be faithful uh, because he recognizes that's how we exercise our faith and strengthen. Our, that's how our faith is strengthened. Mm -hmm. um, um, and he helps exercise that. Uh, when we keep his commandments, when we come to church, when we uh, study his word, uh, all of those things help us to grow in our relationship with him and um, in this covenant promise that he's given us. And uh, so, and he's even a, another, another part of that covenant, I guess I thought um, it talks about in the New Testament, it talks about the Holy Spirit who is our seal mm -hmm. um, as God has sealed our hearts with his spirit and um, uh, that's a part of the covenant as well. That shows the sort of permanency and, and um, effectiveness of that covenant, right? There's nothing that's going to shake that. There's no right. amount of time that's going to make that decay. Nothing can it's, separate us from his love. It's a kingly seal that uh, shows the permanence of it. This is something official, and it's done. Yeah. And um, so this covenant is actually very similar to the type of covenant that God shared with Abraham. Yeah. Um, uh, Just extended to the nations, basically. Yes. Yeah. And that, that's beautiful. I mean, and that's the, the way that God took the covenant of Abraham, and I would say just extended it. I don't think it's a brand, uh, it's sort of a new covenant. That's what, how, the way Jesus talks about it, the new covenant in my blood. But it's really, it's, it's sort of God remodeling and reshaping his promise and yeah. just saying, now I'm, I'm not just saying it to your blood descendants, but to your descendants of the faith, to everybody around the whole world who believes. Yeah. So, and so yeah. that, is, that is our covenant today. Um, you know, we often talk about having a covenant relationship with God. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that covenant lives on uh, based on his promise, based on his faithfulness. Um, and, and that's a, a part of the reason too, as we go to church each week, uh, when we fail, we confess our sins and uh, God assures us of his love and forgiveness uh, because of his son, Jesus Christ. And uh, so that, that is his promise to us today. Yeah. And that's probably a good place to end on. Yeah, definitely would be. Yeah. I think that's a much better place yeah. than where we left it last week, right <laughs> on the borders of the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. So yeah, we'll look forward to continuing on to see actually the full embodiment of the promise that God made to Abraham and Sarah about their descendants next, yeah. next time. So we're talking about the birth of his son. So uh, that'll be a, a, 
uh, a hint of what we get into next. Uh, well, speaking of next week, we're not going to meet next we're week. We're not, yeah, yeah. So we're going to take a week off. We have for Thanksgiving. So. Uh, for Thanksgiving, mm -hmm. and we've got a Thanksgiving Eve service uh, uh, in that evening yeah. uh, at 7 p.m. We also have some activities that are going on in the morning as we deliver some meals to some people who can't get out or can't celebrate yeah. Thanksgiving. So that's why we're not meeting next week. Mm -hmm. But then we will meet again for the two weeks after that. Yeah, it'll be the 30th and the 7th of December. We'll meet in those two weeks and wrap up this series on Genesis. And then I think we're going to take a break from uh, Coffee and Clergy for the remainder of the 2022 year. And we'll be resuming in 2023, January. Yeah, and there's some more changes, but we'll talk about that in the yeah. next uh, two times that we meet. Exactly. So um, having said that, um, we can take a moment and close in prayer. Yeah and ask God to be with us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and your promise. We thank you for sharing stories in the Bible that sometimes make us uncomfortable, uh, sometimes are hard to read. Uh, we see the sin and deception and hardship and suffering and uh, uh, fear and doubt that takes place um, all throughout the world. And yet you are constantly faithful. You are constantly holy you are constantly present in the lives of your people. And for that, we thank and praise you. Uh, we ask that you continue to be present with us today as we carry on the work that you give us to do. Uh, we always ask for you to help us to see what you are doing so that we can join you in your work. Um, and help us to speak of your love, of your faithfulness, of your covenant promises that are new each and every morning uh, that come to us with your love and grace and um, help us communicate to proclaim and to share that love with those around us. So guide us in all that we say and do. Uh, we thank you for these words and promises that sustain us in life. And we pray it in your son's holy name and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Thanks for being with us today. Have a great day in the Lord and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Coffee and Clergy podcast. We're glad you could join the conversation. Coffee and Clergy is a ministry of King of Kings Lutheran Church in Chesterfield, Missouri. You can watch it live on YouTube or Facebook Wednesdays at 9.30 a.m. Central, and we post the podcast on Thursdays. For more information, check out our website at www.kokstl.org. Blessings on your day, and we'll see you next time.